1: an absolute magician. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. Uh, with you as always, your host Steve Haller, and joining me, Christian, no, 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 we don't have a Christian Guzman. That looks
0: like an Andy Pregler across from me. What's going on, buddy? We, we rocking it, we rocking it old school, uh, oh, yeah. just the two of us today as MLK Day and some travel on my part has continued to to mess up our normal recording schedule but we're here to talk about the thing that you and I are most known for talking about which is Syracuse basketball
1: (laughs) yeah the the only thing closer to you and I trying to talk Syracuse basketball which we're going to do uh is um us trying to talk Syracuse lacrosse which we'll probably also end up doing
0: yeah um Steve, this is this is the wrong show for us to go solo. But in that in in that way, this is truly the right show for us to go solo on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I guess the real question that I that I have to ask is, um, did you? I I'm going to be completely forthright here. I was traveling on the West Coast uh, for work and went to the national title game on Monday, and because I was in California, the games tipped off at 4 o'clock while I was still working. I did not watch any of the games last week and only briefly paid attention to the Miami game live. Um, In general, did you watch more or less Syracuse basketball than I did? (laughs) I believe I netted out more than
1: you because I know I watched the entirety of the... uh... Um, Notre Dame game so there's at least that uh, I'm trying to remember who was the early week game against
0: was Notre the, Dame
1: was the early week game and then oh Virginia Tech Virginia, Virginia Tech. Tech was the yeah okay so I watched that and was very confused also um, yes. so yeah it's yes I definitively watched more Syracuse basketball
0: than you did this week great um, That is that is I feel like an important thing to talk about so Holistically, if you're if you're new around here, Syracuse basketball went three and one since we last recorded a podcast. Uh, last time we recorded, we were coming off of the Virginia loss. Syracuse followed it up by beating Virginia Tech and Notre Dame, uh, and then losing on the road uh, at a ranked Miami by three points. I think we should start with, in general, the Orange uh have now lost three ACC games and they sit sixth in the conference at a five and three conference record um they are twelve and seven on the year. I think it's really safe to say that holistically we can say this team is aggressively mediocre. I would agree. um I think I think you know, you
1: you see five and three in the ACC and you think that's great. Uh, you you have to look at that with the ACC this year, which is not great, and also with who we've played, which is two games against Notre Dame, which are two of those five wins, who are very not good. Um, the uh, you know the losses came against Pitt, Virginia Tech, and Miami, who are or Pitt, Virginia, and Miami, who are all solid teams and. You know uh I guess Pitt and vatech could be closest to the bubble whereas at this point Miami and Virginia are solidly in um and the rest of the games have been Boston College Virginia Tech like uh and and tech we inexplicably like they could not hit a shot from three I don't know if it was so much us forcing uh Ooh. forcing or playing good defense more so than Forcing a three and having them not even regress to the mean and just brick things because they were getting open looks. So, yeah,
0: Virginia Tech is a team where I've got a friend who works in the college basketball space Um and the general vibe for him. He's like when I told him how what Virginia Tech's record was, he's like the data doesn't really show that they're that bad of a team problem is that they're not making shots and a lot of that is due to injuries um their top guard whose name i will mispronounce um i know that yeah exactly um i'm looking i'm looking it up right now for any kind of pronunciation i'm not going to get it so i'm just going to say cator even though i'm pretty sure that it's it's not that um what was that i think it is cator is it is cator okay all right uh Yeah, the Florida senior, number zero, um, he's been hurt, and he is definitively their best um, shot maker. As we saw, they don't really need a ton of help creating shots, but uh, he's also pretty good at that, and they they could have used him a little bit, I think, in that game. Um, but still, the Orange win, but Virginia Tech is 1-5 in five in the conference. My goodness. Um, probably not a surprise that Couture has not played in a conference game. Um, so there's there's some correlation there. Um, but I just decided to play the game, Steve. Oh boy. Of let's look at Syracuse's next uh four opponents in Ken Palm rankings. And the Orange have uh Georgia Tech, who 20. is one hundred and fortieth. They then have North Carolina, who's twenty-third. They play aforementioned Virginia Tech, who is um Let's see. Virginia Tech is 45th in Ken Palm. So, and we have to play them on the road. Uh, Cannot beating them twice in a season is going to be hard. Uh, And then they have the aforementioned Virginia Cavaliers, who they already lost a game to this season, who is 11th in Ken Palm. So,
1: and for the record, uh, Syracuse is sitting at 86th.
0: So, by Ken Palm metrics, the Orange are setting up for a one and three stretch. Which compounded would turn into a one and four stretch if you include the Miami game. Uh, again, aggressively mediocre. If the Orange go one and three, they would be at six and six in the ACC. Um, so, I I say all this to lead up to the context of the Notre Dame win and the Miami loss. Uh, combined, they beat Notre Dame by five. They lost to Miami by four. Steve, I think Kevin said it best when he was on the show last time we recorded. It's just a team that doesn't play the way it should play and a coach who refuses to adjust in any way shape or form to the way that the team wants to play. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that that really still aptly sums up everything that we've been seeing um it's it's like the pieces of the puzzle are there but it's not the same puzzle that the coach is putting together
0: yes so how do we fix that i don't know if you do just with the way that the roster is kind of constructed for this year
1: right i mean the combination of the roster and how we know i mean Jim Beheim is a known commodity at this point. I think he's had a couple of years for us to, you know, watch him and (laughs) see what he's been doing over these past decades, Um, and I don't know if he's one to adapt and, you know, make that change mid-season to being an up-tempo athletic team and, you know, putting, uh, uh, I guess, riding the freshmen as hard as they could and. You know, see where it goes, which I, at this point, I would almost say that it makes sense to um, to ride the freshman out and see where they see what they do. And if they improve things, you know, more power to them. Like that's that's awesome. And if they don't, then we're kind of SOL. And yeah, um, you know, no matter what you- right now, if they keep rolling it out like they are, I don't think they're making the tournament. So if you're not making no. the tournament, what are you doing? You might as well get some
0: experience for next year's team. And I think we might have started to see a little bit, not maybe not necessarily to the way that we're talking about, but we saw Bayheim try something new. So I saw that yesterday. Um, there was a question that Brent Axe had asked. Oh wow, that is a that is a unintentional tongue twister right there. Um, Brett Axe had asked Mike Waters about the last time that nine Syracuse players scored double digits in a conference game. And that is because if you look at the box score against Miami, we saw one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players get double digit minutes. Um, and ultimately the, uh, there was only one, two, three players in double figures. Um, but we saw guys spend lots of time on the floor and take lots of shots. Oh, and the orange still only lost by four. I'm, I'm looking at the, at the minute distribution and um, Chris Bell played 19 minutes. Malik Brown played 13 minutes um, at the four. And, you know, Benny and Jesse round out the four guys playing in the, in the front court. And, the backcourt saw Judah and Gerard each get 30 plus minutes. Gerard got his normal 38. Um, but then you saw, you know, Taylor, Torrance get uh, double digit minutes each. Uh, Torrance obviously did not do a whole lot um, besides make his free throws. But in general, this is probably the most rotation that we've seen all year. I mean, we've seen all those guys play, but that's the only time that I can remember seeing that many guys in double-digit minutes playing in a close, or in a game that mattered. Let let me rephrase it that way. In a game that, like, actually matters where Syracuse had a chance to pull the upset here. Right. Yeah, it's,
1: I don't know. The whole thing's a weird dynamic Um, because we've been clamoring for more minutes for more guys for years. Mm -hmm. Um, And we finally see see eight guys crack double digits, and it's like, oh, we can do that. Uh, what did you – that was – you said that was the Votec game?
0: That was the Miami game. Okay, that was the Miami um, game.
1: Which yeah. is crazy because they – in that game is the game they ran out of steam down the stretch. Yes. So you're you're actually going deep, and you're still running out of steam. Like,
0: how yeah. how is that happening? Right, and then you look at and you look at it, and Bell played – 34 minutes against Notre Dame. Brown played 34 minutes against Notre Dame. Obviously, a lot of that is is due to some foul trouble experienced by uh, the rest of the rest of the roster there. Um, but it is starting to like bring up this question where uh, I don't fully. I think uh, to your point earlier, at some point you just got to play these kids because Jesse playing 38 minutes a night. When he doesn't get into foul trouble Gerard playing 38 minutes a night. These are guys, these guys are known commodities. Jesse's not going to get played the way he wants to. And Gerard is what he is. I don't I think that we can at the end of the year going into what Gerard is is probably more worthwhile of a conversation because what he's doing today is going to be the same thing that he does in the last game of the year. It's he's, the same thing he did two years ago. Like it's He is functionally the same player yeah. since the day he stepped onto campus. Yeah. And that's not a, yeah. I mean, you
1: know what you're getting with Joe Girard. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just like, we also don't have the pieces to complement what Joe Girard does do.
0: Yeah. If that makes sense. And he should not be your, um, he should not be your first scoring option. And that's what he is at the Orange. Right. And that's.
1: You know, uh, there's we've talked ad nauseum over the years about like how we ended up in this position. Um, and with zero recruits currently for 2023 or 2024, it's not looking much better to alleviate said issues. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, you got to work with what you got, and that's what we got.
0: I have some serious concerns over like the how the transfer portal is going to work with these guys. Um, I think that might be some of my football brain seeping in here, but you can look at this roster and say there's on the one hand, there are no recruits signed for next season. Everybody who's on this roster, if you're playing right now, you are going to play next year. And I think that that is not an unappealing option to a lot of these guys. The counter to that is that you're losing a center and you're losing a point guard in Gerard and Edwards. And I would argue that there's not a natural replacement for either directly behind them. Um, Carey is the the definition of a project center I don't want to see starting sophomore year.
1: No, but if you go go athletic, you've got Hema there.
0: Yeah. And if you go athletic
1: with the other four... You don't need as much, especially if you allow that mid-range game. Like, right now, the spacing is weird because we have – and it's it's weird to say that the spacing feels weird because we're so used to Syracuse basketball that hasn't had a scoring threat in the post for so freaking long. Like, <laughs> sin- since Ricky, we haven't had a whole heck of – or Rakeem, we haven't had a whole heck of a lot down there. So it's been uh, – you know, you're used to seeing a lot more guys float in that mid-range, a lot more guys – being able to um, to move and do their thing, but if you go, you know, what do you what do you go, Bell, Benny, uh, Taylor, and Mince?
0: I mean, that's a lineup.
1: Or, but Brown, it kind of feels like Brown's got to be in there somewhere. The way he's
0: been playing, I mean, you probably honestly you. The problem is that I don't know if Brown and Mintz together is a good combination long term. There's one of them needs to do something in the offseason to add a different dimension to their game so they can complement each other. Um but yeah, I honestly think that you're right with Bell Brown at at the top at the of top of the zone. I think that's kind of the way you have to ride it for next year.
1: I mean Yeah Bell oh, gee, Bell Brown on the wings and then yeah, that that's kind of the only options you've got. I mean, this is assuming right. doesn't uh, doesn't Gerard technically have a uh, extra year?
0: Well, the the wild card to all this that again, I think we need to talk about at the end of the year because it's not really worth talking about now. Is that I think that there is an equal, there are equal odds that Gerard leaves and that Judah leaves. I think that they are probably one and the same um, because. With the new NBA development contracts, with the way that the NBA is trying to grow talent, Judah screams to be a guy who has shown against equal competition. He is that jumpy, gangly, super athletic, get to the rim, shoot the mid-range any way you want. And And he's not necessarily going to improve on any of those skills with another year of college. He needs to go, if he plays against pros that are bigger and force him to get more creative and learn how to uh, be more accurate with his shots, I think that's like the next stage of his development. And I don't necessarily know that you're going to do that playing another year in college unless he really wants to potentially play himself into the lottery with a all the ACC season, which I think he's definitely capable of doing. Um, but I think that if you lose Mintz, there's an equal chance that if Mince goes, Gerard stays back for another year, and you're stuck with a lot of the same issues you have with this year's roster on next year's roster. Well, you're um, stuck with a lot of the no same way...
1: issues, but the other option is stuck with no issues because at that point you're starting what Taylor and a bunch of walk-ons. Yeah. I mean, like you hit. I mean, do do you hit the portal harder? What do you do? And I guess that's also assuming nobody leaves in the portal. Mike brought up something good in the chat that he's got a gut feeling Benny leaves. So it's like, do, what what happens there? You know, and I'd assume I'd assume that gut feeling is based off the uh, the Paul Harris doghouse that Benny Williams is living in. Um, yeah, and I don't think anybody likes living in. JB's doghouse like it's never worked out well for anybody um but yeah it's a weird situation and who do you bring in but then at the same time how do you bring people in in the transfer portal to a team that's currently set up like it is and that you don't know how long I mean Beheim is not a spring chicken you don't know how long he's coaching for where where is all of this where's all this going like, what does this all lead to?
0: I mean, you can ask all the ex- existential questions you want, Steve. I haven't drank enough to really get into the get into those answers. Oh, but... we record on a Wednesday night and we get or Tuesday night and we get sober, Andy. No, <laughs> uh, I mean, yes, but <laughs> it's a school night. Um, no, but I mean, but this is. I think this is really where Syracuse has been since the last Sweet Sixteen run.
1: Yeah, is, it is
0: asking this exact question. If Beheim is not going to adapt, if he's not going to retire, those are really like we've. And I, I think this is going to be a nice segue into college football talk. So we'll start. We'll wrap. I think we can wrap the college basketball talk on this. We've we've kind of seen it recently in college basketball over the last few years, where a lot of the old guard, not just the Shashevskis and the Roy Williamses, and not just but old a lot guards of, like Joe Girard. <laughs> I'm gonna have to remember that every time I say "old guard." Now, <laughs> uh, damn it, that's a, that's a good one. Hang that one up on the board. Uh, every time, like, but we we saw also a lot of middle coaches, and like, what I mean by that is guys who were in their fifties and sixties, who had been coaching or head coaching for double-digit years, at not insignificant programs. Hang it up and just say it's time for me to cash out. I made like these coaches make good money. Um, A lot of them live in very affordable college towns and they've all just kind of said, you know what? The game is changing. I'm not willing to change. So it's it's time to leave because this is not going to be a position where I can remain the same and hope to stay employed at this level. And I think we've seen the opposite where other coaches who have really adapted to this portal world that we live in have done really well. Um, And you see, like, I hate to bring up the, you know, the guys down the road, but like what Hurley has done at UConn is kind of astounding. Like he did not have this level of success anywhere else. And, but he had a system and he had a approach to program building that was built around transfers, supporting recruits. And when the recruits were there, the transfers filling in the gaps so that way when the recruits leave early the transfers are in and it's just it's just really intelligent roster building that allowed for a very quick evolution from a solid team into a really good team.
1: I mean there were some trash can fire years for them too like before the exactly. solid team
0: portion. <laughs> yeah, but you know what you know what the, the shitty part is is in, in those trash can fire years they still beat Syracuse.
1: Yep. And that you know that'll go full circle as to where you know what Anyone who's a longtime listener knows where my thoughts are since 2013. So, uh, will 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 not expunge on that any longer. Um, before we hit halftime, I do want to uh, give a shout out. Uh, we need some need some quick lacrosse talk in here because uh, <laughs> Mikey Powell, the legend himself, will officially have his jersey retired. Um, hey, that was announced. And yes, that was since the last time we talked that, that got announced, which is mildly insane. So another 22 will be set to uh, hang in the rafters on the March 11th game, um, which I'm trying to figure out who it's against. Oh, Mm -hmm. fittingly Johns Hopkins, because if you're going to retire a Powell's number, that's appropriate. Um, So yeah. uh, Third or second men's lacrosse player to have his jersey retired and the third overall after gate and Katie Rowan. So uh, pretty good company to be in, I'd say. And, He uh, if you if you if you haven't if you didn't get to experience Mike Powell, uh, I I was aware of Mike when I was growing up. I wasn't a lacrosse fan, but you could Mm -hmm. just see the kid do things that shouldn't be done. And if you watch any of the highlights, it's just like people don't know what to do with this guy. It was and he and his brothers, but it was like watching you know, almost a, a Jordan-esque type performance where it's just, you can tell this kid's way better than anybody else he's playing against.
0: And I think that that's something where, um, you know, uh, the other thing that came out this week is that we got some lacrosse home game times and people are getting hyped about the season. But I think that that's something that we have to like really remember about when people say, why can't Syracuse be, you know, the Syracuse of old when it comes to lacrosse? And the answer is... Guys like Powell don't just grow on a tree. Well, and well, they
1: have other places to go. Because it yes. used to be, you know, when, when it was, you know, six programs running the world when it came to lacrosse, the odds of the, the next Powell coming to Cuse are a lot different. You didn't have the Thompson brothers going to Albany in that era. Um, yes. It, it was very, very different and very more insular, very more. It's uh, it's good words, um, a lot more insular, uh, almost like inbreeding of lacrosse programs. So um, yeah, I, I think I think the sport as a whole has improved and grown, and that has led to, for worse, the downfall of the current Syracuse program, which hopefully will be rebounded this year with our new number twenty-two.
0: Yeah, and uh, Gary Gate had his media day. The full breakdown is on com, so I'm not even gonna try to like reiterate things, but the key takeaway for me was Gary Gate. Like obviously last year's team was a bit of a surprise to do as well as they did with Gate under year one. Like it was definitely a roller coaster of a season. Um but the team Gate showed that his lacrosse chops are just their lacrosse chops. He doesn't he doesn't need to be playing or coaching, he can kind of do it all. Um, but the biggest thing was that he just was talking a lot about the team having more cohesion and a more consistent identity. And I think that those are the things that you want to hear from a coach in year two of a takeover. You don't want to hear them talking about having to change things up. You want to hear they're committed to their system. And if that system works great, if it doesn't work, then you know, that's when you start panicking. But I think for now they're in a good spot. Um, but I do want to really quickly talk about the schedule. Um, no Cornell on the schedule. If you live under a rock, that's been something that's been rumored slash reported on slash. We needed full confirmation. We got full confirmation, no con- no Cornell on the schedule for the first time in very long time. Yeah. We did also um, get
1: confirmation that it was strictly because neither of them wanted to uh, give up or uh, add games into the late game or late season conference schedule. So yeah. and confirmation from gate that they wanted to restart it next year, both
0: from both sides. Yeah, this is not going to it's and it also makes a ton of sense. Like I'm looking at the Syracuse schedule, uh, the home games and times came out, which is fantastic. Um, there's a lot of all over the afternoons. um times here but I think the big thing to kind of if you haven't looked at the Syracuse schedule you'll see that the the beginning part of the schedule is front-loaded the first one two three four five six seven eight nine of 11 games are at home in the dome um absolutely insane the orange should start very hot they then finish the season with four straight road games at Princeton at North Carolina which right now is scheduled to be played in Maryland Um, Virginia and Duke that is a hell of a gauntlet to end the season on but what can you do when you have that many when you have that many home games Um, and to, to Cornell and Syracuse's point those four games are crammed within basically you know the last three weeks of April so it is would be tough to schedule a fifth game in there and not worry about the level of competition or the health of the players yeah and those are, uh, always paramount and always should be, um, exactly.
1: so yeah, that's, that's where we're at with, uh, I, I think we're all bearing the lead for after halftime as to the, uh, w- where this discussion will explode.
0: Yeah. So before we get into things that make us sad, uh, let's talk about things that make us happy, which include home field apparel, the finest purveyors of vintage clothing They are doing some great things right now with your favorite t-shirts, joggers, hoodies, uh, sweatshirts, and now long-sleeve t-shirts. Homefield has begun to relaunch a lot of schools that you may have previously uh, seen. So if you are a school like Syracuse, you should be on the lookout for something that Homefield might do, like what they did uh, with Louisville, Indiana, Purdue creating whole new lines of apparel. Mm. Hint. Hint. <laughs> Don't quite know how else I could say that without saying anything.
1: Um, this is why but, you can't have nice things, Brickler. I know.
0: Uh, but in general, listen, seriously, they're, the, they're great. You should be paying attention to their Twitter account. Uh, and if you have never ordered and felt the love that is a home field apparel t-shirt hoodie crew neck or pair of joggers use promo code nunes n-u-n-e-s for 10 percent off your first order at home field apparel again go check them out if you are a fan of home field you've ordered from them you've used the promo code and you just want more syracuse clothing stay tuned as they relaunch a lot of those original schools that came out the first time around which did include syracuse so you know Mm -hmm. eyes and eyes open full full what is it eyes o- or uh eyes open Hearts. that I can't eyes, lose full or... hearts can't lose is that what you are Yeah, going there for? we go. I Yeah. I literally watched the pilot of that show and uh that's it. I never saw a single episode of it. I read the book. The book yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Concur. Great. Uh Glad we're on the same page. Of there. Hi- yeah, speaking I of Speaking of high school football. <laughs> okay, segue. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah, roll. really awkward segue there, but uh, high school football recruiting, Syracuse lost its preeminent recruiter, uh, Nick Monroe is heading to Minnesota, he joins uh, huh, other former Syracuse athletic department uh, employees in heading to Minnesota to go, uh, to hashtag go home and uh, have a dream job, a phrase that... Nick Monroe did use in his uh, interview with Mike McAllister on Sports Illustrated Syracuse. Uh, Monroe's family, and I believe, his father played or coached at Minnesota, if not both. Uh, there's yeah.
1: some familial, yeah. He grew up there; like it's it's home for him. Yes. So you cannot blame the guy for going home to a promotion and also um, getting a raise and also.
0: Uh, yeah, that I mean, that that's enough things. Yeah, we'll get into the raises <laughs> in a second, because some more information about Syracuse assistants came out in that regard this week. Um, but, or former Syracuse assistants, I should say. Um, but Mamoro leaving creates a really interesting dynamic here, Steve. Um, so I was having a conversation with a friend who's a is a big Syracuse football fan, and was talking about the need to, like, we need to get with Rocky Long as the main DC now. Syracuse needs to go out there and find, you know, a young, bright defensive coordinator in the making, a la Jason Beck uh, uh, with the offense this past year. Somebody who can maybe learn a year and then jump into the role. And my argument to him was, I think the need for a primary recruiter on staff is more important than necessarily a defensive coach at the moment, mostly because what Monroe did is so unique. And my example of this is that today the ACC post or the athletic posted an ACC recruiting confidential article. So uh, I don't want to give the whole thing away uh, since it is behind a paywall. Um, But the gist of it is that they went out and interviewed high school coaches from around the ACC footprint. So new England down to Florida and the only Syracuse coach mentioned by name By any coach in that entire article uh, was Nick Monroe. And I think that kind of shows the work that Monroe did to establish Syracuse in non-traditional recruiting areas for Syracuse. And losing that is not insignificant when you look at how many high-impact players on the roster currently and previously were directly tied to Monroe as a primary recruiter. Yeah
1: and he he did so much work closing deals. Um you know, they would even bring him on trips that weren't like he wasn't the primary recruiter on when they needed to, you know, do work. Like he just he got he got the game. And the, it's a huge get for Minnesota in that regard, especially in a lot of areas that they historically have not targeted. Um you know, he's got a lot of connections in that uh you know, much like Syracuse, they have to try and recruit people to less than ideal climates. And Monroe already has a lot of experience doing that, seeing he was at Colgate for a bunch of years and then Bowling Green and then here. Um, so he knows what he's recruiting to in Minnesota. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, I trying to replace that. And, I, I mean, I, I wrote a whole piece on who to replace him with. And one of the first things I said is it's a lot easier to find a cornerbacks coach than it is to find an ace recruiter. And there's only so many of them out there and we got to try and find a way to fill both gaps.
0: And I think that you, um, I I just from like, you know, I I think we can talk, this is like a really important part here. Uh, Recruiting is an incredibly hard thing. I think a lot of people, remember the old ncaa video games where you know your school has this this and this going for it and a recruit is either gonna love it or hate it and then it's just about you know being consistent throughout the whole time yep and in today's you know we know that's not let me rephrase you and i know that's not how recruiting actually works i think most people here are aware that it is very much a dark art Um, there was somebody, I saw a tweet and I cannot remember who it is, so I'm really sorry for not crediting this person correctly. Um, but the tweet was essentially that men who follow college football recruiting closely, uh, or sorry, college, uh, following college football closely is, uh, horoscopes for men.
1: Yes. And I could see that
0: totally. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's, it's whose (laughs) line
1: is it anyway? It's all made up and the points don't matter. It's just like, I don't, I don't get it. I never have. I was ancillarily involved in it for a year and it still made no sense. It's just like, okay.
0: But you can, but you can kind of speak to that like process. Obviously it's not the same now, but like so much of that is just relationship building with a complete stranger who is basically asking you to make the biggest decision of your life Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Yep. And
1: then impressing them on a you know uh, two day campus visit that you hope you hit the nail out of the or hit the ball out of the park with, and uh, yeah, it's it's a crapshoot, and to find someone who is good at it is it's impressive. Um, that's also why in my article I uh, basically said we need to throw as much money at uh, Ephraim Banda as possible. Who is currently the Utah State defensive coordinator and a former cornerbacks coach under Manny Diaz for years, especially at the Miami, uh, at Miami when he was bringing it. I can't remember. He brought in like four or five guys that you're just like, oh, him. Okay, cool. Uh, kind of you know Monroe level. Like the the aces on the team are all attributed to this guy. Um, he took a gig as a DC at Utah State last year. And it's like, well, you know, uh, we can probably throw him the same amount of money and then run him under Rocky for a year or two and then say, Here's the reins to a P five DC program and all the time just, you know, can, if you if you signed him on to our talent pool or our coaching staff with uh you know, the recruiting coordinator tag or something like that, you can easily give him more than uh Utah State's entire coaching staff budget was two and a half mil. So we should be able to beat that hypothetically, um, yes. Especially with the the added bonus of a recruiting coordinator tag or something along those lines, uh, it's it's like you go after somebody like that. You swing for the fences at least. You can always find a cornerback's coach, but to be able to try and try and track and find somebody, I know Kevin had brought up like Dre Bly, who was a, a solid recruiter for North Carolina. There were some weird things on how he and North Carolina parted ways. But in general, yeah. I mean, stuff like that is where we need to start looking. Um, who knows? The The Rocky Long coaching tree is enormous as far as connections. The mm-hmm. It's funny. I, I looked up all of the, the various coaching trees, and it's like going through Longs, there's like all these options and whatever. Babers, weirdly enough, not many options in there, and those that were in there – the issue isn't that. Well, the issue is that we couldn't get them because at least two or three of them are coaching in the NFL now. So I mean,
0: it's, not a bad tree to have, but no, yeah, we're not coming like,
1: back to do the recruiting. Right. It's like okay, well, there goes that idea. And then you know, complete <laughs> randoms like, uh, well, I was going to say Bowman, but he just signed somewhere. Kevin, uh, Kevin linked in the chat. Um, yeah, that he he signed on with uh, someone. And then Temple uh, weirdly, yep, yeah. Uh, and then um, Bly and uh, yeah, I, I don't know swing for the fences and worst case you fall back on somebody.
0: Yeah. I think uh, recently Dino has done a great job with the hires. Like we saw obviously that the entire Syracuse coaching pool this year was actually desired, which feels like the first time that this has kind of happened and it's all been happening, happening under Babers, Yep. which I think there is something to be said there. However, it is really difficult to kind of quantify how big of a loss this is. Although I do kind of, I do respect Monroe and it seems like it was very intentional waiting until the early signing period ended before bouncing. Um, all the players that he had helped close for the cycle, um, they are committed to Syracuse for at least the next 12 months ish. And that I think, you know, I don't think again, to your point that you said off the top, you there is no harsh feelings here for going home and from what all from what it sounds like, um, handling things as professionally as you can when you leave a place that you have been for as long as Monroe has been at Syracuse yeah. um uh, to go take, you know, a similar job at a competitor. And, and I we wish him luck, you know, with uh, he and PJ Fleck go way back. Uh, so this is something where It just made too much sense to do otherwise, and it's really going to be interesting to see how Syracuse kind of handles this, as there are still holes to be made in the current roster that we'd like to see fixed in the portal and through the end of the signing period, and again, figuring out who kind of rises to that challenge to either be hired in as the new ace recruiter, or if there is someone on staff that we're just not aware of who has been cultivating these relationships alongside Monroe. Because ultimately, I think that's the, as old school as it is, it's not really Rolodex anymore. It's more of a phone contacts list. Like, that's half the battle with recruiting is getting connected with coaches. And especially for Syracuse, getting connected with coaches who can bring you somebody before everybody else finds them. Right.
1: And at this point, you almost need somebody East Coast, somebody that already has fostered those relationships. So, um, you know, we'll see where it all lands. Um, i oh god, never mind just dead-ended well, because there was something I was going to say based on something you had said, and then I lost it. So uh, well, here's I, to great podcasting.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, well, we can talk about more money things. Uh came out this week that former Syracuse defensive coordinator, Tony White, uh, his pay raise at Nebraska was uh, spit-takeable, uh, but obviously Steve has heard it before, so he's not going to do the spit-take. Um, <laughs> Tony White... Tony White's salary goes from what was believed to be around you know four hundred five hundred thousand dollars at Syracuse, and that's on the high end of estimations. Um, Tony White is now making a million dollars per year as the defensive coordinator at Nebraska, uh, Syracuse. And if, and if anybody is, who
1: said he shouldn't have left would turn that down, then just stop because you're lying. <laughs> I mean, I don't care where I, they got is, you moving. If you're if you're going from four hundred k to a million. You're taking that shot for
0: a year or two or wherever. I mean, and this is the thing is that we kind of we've talked about college football and this is and this is what I kind of took away from like uh, this past weekend, like watching Georgia versus TCU and like kind of experiencing the difference between those two schools and what Syracuse provides. Uh, There used to be a day where the only ACC coordinators making millions of dollars were on Debo staff. And that was because they were the best coordinators in the business. Not saying that Tony White is not one of the best defensive coordinators in the business. You and I sat here and have sung his praises probably too many times to go back and count since say, we started since, doing this thing. Since the day he started. <laughs> um, but we are now moving into a landscape where there are two conferences in college football that can pretty easily justify paying a good, not great, a good coordinator six figures. Uh and that is going to make what Syracuse does infinitely harder and infinitely more challenging to retain a culture and retain long term. And this goes back to a conversation that we had with Kevin about the Dino Babers dilemma. Uh, right now, unless somebody comes out and says otherwise, uh the exp- the expectation is that Dino Babers is a lame duck coach. He does not have a contract for uh, a year beyond this upcoming season, and oh,
1: he has a twenty-four year.
0: He has a, t- oh, sorry, yep, yeah. sorry. But by coaching terms, that's basically lame duck because you can pretty much at this point. And again, don't know his details, but most coaching contracts you can pretty much move on from somebody within the last year of the deal. Yeah, and it again, you don't very want to be. Buyout. Yeah, and you don't want to go into the year as a lame duck coach. So year two is actually. decision year it's not the lame duck year but it's the decision year for the athletic department right so Babers is stuck we're stuck in the situation where I think a lot of people feel lukewarm about him but in an era of instability how much stability can you retain with Dino versus this instability that will come from him being gone no matter what if this year if the team sucks this year like if they only win two or three games I don't think it's a question that he's out But anything between five wins and up, I think that there's legitimate justification for any option. And that's going to be really interesting to me because I think it'll show you what Syracuse values in their football program. Yeah,
1: it's it's so weird with especially with the the 23 schedule, the way it's looking, Um, it, it doesn't. It's not a uh, it's not a horrible schedule. It's not great. It's probably easier than last year's schedule, but we also lost a lot of pieces. So this is this is the conundrum you end up in, where nobody quite knows what's
0: uh, what's happening and who's doing what. Um, well, on that note, Steve, I don't think you meant to do this. Um, January thirtieth is the ACC uh, scheduling reveal. So. We will know Syracuse's entire schedule on January 30th, and I have to double-check FBS schedules. Do you have it up yet or no? Yeah, you can Uh, tell that's
1: what I was vamping for? Weird. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We've done this a little
0: bit. Um, uh, Syracuse has four non-conference games.
1: Yes, they are Colgate, Western Michigan, Purdue, and Army.
0: And they are all scheduled, including the Labor Day like opening week off game. Like, there's yep. no chance that is there a chance that we get the ACC game that week? Or are we just doing four non-conference and then full schedule?
1: No, we have uh, September second, Colgate, September 9th, Western Michigan, sixteenth, Purdue, twenty third Army. Yeah, and then so the ACC starts at a date to
0: be determined. So theoretically, I mean Purdue, it looks legit. Um, I don't think we win. Well, they look legit, s-
1: but they lost everything.
0: <laughs> like they
1: lost huh. their best receiver and their quarterback. Yeah. And their coach, right?
0: Oh yeah. They lost their coach too. Yeah. He went so, to Louisville and they, uh, no, sorry. Yeah. Did he go to Louisville? Forget. He was uh, from yes. Louisville, Wasn't he? Yeah. He went to Louisville and Louisville went to Cincinnati. There we go. Yes. That's it. That's, that's where right. It was. Cause
1: yeah. Cause when, uh, when Saturday <laughs> went to Cincinnati, it was like, what.
0: He pre-fired himself. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, like how? How did that? Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. I will never. Oh,
0: because Cincinnati's coach went to Wisconsin. Oh, they're, yeah. They're so cold. they needed yes. someone.
1: So they took Scott Satterfield, of all people. Um, so, yeah. He's got a uh, good agent. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, but, you know, any of those, yes, three of them are eminently winnable. At Purdue, it doesn't scare me nearly as much um it's it's not going to be easy but you know it's a team it's a team that was better this year and we beat them
0: yeah so uh, what is the home and road splits for the for the other ACC games next year the away games are florida state
1: north carolina georgia tech and virginia tech
0: two of those games are interesting the other two are ls so I'll take that two out yep. of four being interesting instead of L's are, are a win. I like that. Uh, and then home BC Clemson Pitt wake. I mean, if you've got, you've got four winnable non-conference games and you've got a winnable conference game against BC and then two question mark home games in pit and wake and two question mark road games in Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. Again, to your point, there's a roadmap there. Yeah. But the roadmap is probably going to end up saying that, like, I, I bet you Bill C's math is going to say Syracuse is at, like, 5.8 wins or something. Right, which is better than what Bill C's math said this year. <laughs> exactly. Um and yeah, not saying I mean, that that's, like, the end-all, be but I think it gives you kind of a – like, I really like the preseason numbers because it's all based off of, like, percentage projection yeah so you get the idea of like there's a coin flips determine the schedule that's the way it was this past year we experienced that we saw that we felt it Mm -hmm. feel like that's going to be the case next year as well just we are going to be worse but we're playing teams that are worse than florida state notre dame um you know teams that blew us out last year
1: (laughs) yeah no and that i mean like pit at home next year Especially if we get a defensive line of some semblance, yeah. Sure, okay, that's fine. Yeah, Clemson is Clemson. BC at home doesn't do anything to light my world on fire. Uh, Nope. Wake without Sam Hartman is wake. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, (laughs) and yep. Uh, and yeah, then the away game. I mean, you've got four. You've got five away games total. Like you said, two of them are a complete loss. The Purdue game is probably coin flip ish and then tech the the techs both both techs are probably coin flippy. Like yeah.
0: Vatek's probably 40 them. Yeah. You know what you know what I'm gonna say? It's the same thing we say every year. Like we're gonna revisit this whole thing when the schedule comes out because I think placement is the so. conference schedule. Is going to matter so much. Though we did get off the bye schneid this year,
1: so that's nice.
0: Yeah. We, we don't have to immediately
1: it, chuck up a, a post bye week
0: game <laughs> to a loss. Well, that's the thing is like, imagine if Syracuse gets at Georgia Tech after a bye week. Right. Like, I think that's probably your best case scenario to snagging an ACC road win, and then you need to beat BC. And if you took care of business in the non conference schedule, that's all you need for a bowl game.
1: Right. And if you didn't, if you lost that Purdue game, then you just need to snag one of Pitt or Wake at home. Yeah. Like, like it's, <laughs>
0: there's it's a path doable. here.
1: Yeah. And that's that's the thing. is, that, And then, again, continuing down the what-if scenario, because, well, that's what we do. Um, Got to stay on brand. The If that happens, if we get to six wins, if we get to seven wins, what do you do? Is that considered enough consistent improvement two bowl games in a row to give Dino three years and say go I don't know you I I, mean, I personally I think... if it was me I would but I know a lot uh, well, of the fan think... base doesn't
0: think so 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 much of this is also going to determine on Dino like he's not a young guy yeah and running a program like Syracuse is not easy um and the consensus around college football, seems to be for a Syracuse assistant to make seven wins with that roster that is worthy enough of come to my school where we will pay you more money than you were making at Syracuse because we want you on our staff yeah um but it's not enough for Dino Babers as a head coach to get any of those looks and I think why it's not a look for Dino is a conversation for another day. Yeah. Um, Probably one that requires a lot more time and nuance than either of us are willing to give at this moment. Um, and a lot more dollars in a buyout because part
1: of it is also the same reason that Syracuse didn't want to can him. Yeah. And, you yep. know, if anybody did want him, you're already, you're, you're paying a premium on top of his
0: salary. Exactly. So you now get to this point of, Does Dino want to continue the grind necessary if there are no other doors open? And I think that for a coach of his age is a really important question that we don't talk about enough at the college football level and that we don't think about enough at Syracuse because we have Jim Beheim as the other men's coach that we talk about a lot. Right. And the reality is, is that as we have seen, Jim Beheim is the exception to the rule. He is not the rule. <laughs> Jim Bayheim will always be the exception to the rule. Exactly. So I think that that's something that I'm going to, I'm starting to dig into that a little bit, trying to put out some feelers and talk to people about who are cover this sport beyond myself. Um, and I think it's something to monitor this offseason because the conversation will pick up in earnest if Syracuse does do what we think that they can do and and get to six wins in a bowl game,
1: yeah, and yeah, that's uh, I mean, right now off of a seven win season, you have what one, two, three, four, four guys projected taken in the the good rounds of the draft. Um, you know, Bergeron sliding sliding the right direction, um, you know, climbing up the the depth or the, the draft tables. Please
0: draft him Pittsburgh.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Currently Kuyper has him 49th to Pittsburgh. So pregler has got his next Jersey lined up. Have a Shamarco Jersey. (laughs) That's great. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if anybody ever went to the bills, I would be all over it, but (laughs) Uh, yeah. So currently Garrett's kind of early to mid second round Tucker earlier, late third, early fourth, Bergeron was early to mid-fourth, but seems to be climbing. Uh, and Mikel kind of fourth to fifth round. So, you know, these they're all in positions that could make an impact. And we've seen from Zaire this year that if you can latch on with somebody, you know, you can work it out for a couple of years and then turn into the all-time uh,
0: tackles leader in a single season for a team. It is wild um, how that worked out for him. But it is also a testament, again, something that The Athletic had in one of their recruiting articles. Um, They were talking to uh, participants at the Under Armour uh, Elite 11 game, which, reminder, is where Tommy DeVito went as a top prospect. Um, And they were interviewing the players and talking about NIL versus other factors. And again, I think that it's really important to kind of mention that these players are guys who are more than likely legitimate NFL prospects identified at 18. So their mindset's a little bit different than your average recruit. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were all talking about how NIL didn't really matter as much as talent development. And again, it makes sense for them. They understand that they actually have a legitimate shot at going to the NFL, and so their goal over the next three to four years is how can I get myself as close as possible to actively attaining that potential that I've been identified with. So talent evaluation and talent development becomes infinitely more important than, say, NIL money. NIL was a tiebreaker for them in some situations, but talent development was really the the primary focus. And if Syracuse can become a place where there is consistent talent going to the NFL, yeah, that so that will help recruiting a lot. But you have to consistently do it. And to be completely honest, Syracuse has done it on an individual level. They haven't really done it in a class level. Um, and Except for if they do it this year, back-to-back years with multiple Syracuse players drafted is the beginning of a trend and a development cycle. Yeah, I would say so. I think you're spot on with that. Yeah. So it's, it's a huge piece. And we can already... I think that's a good offseason topic for us to get into on another show is kind of talking about this year's roster and seeing if there's any players, at least at the moment that we could see getting drafted. Because I do think that there are, even with the losses of some to the transfer portal, um, do think that there are there's some potential there on both sides of the ball for the Orange. Um, so worth diving into on a later show. But for now, uh, we're going to call it right there because mm, it's... we do need to shout out to Dwight Freeney, who was elected the College Football oh. Hall of Fame. I had that at the top of my college fo- of my college football notes, and I forgot it. <laughs> we just uh, got rambling. Yeah. Right. Well, I was literally I was not sober uh, at the title game, and they did a big thing and like announcing the Syrac- about announcing the college football honorees who made it into the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and Dwight Freeney's name came up, so I just screamed, "Yay, Dwight Freeney!" And everybody kind of looked around at me weirdly because nobody in a Georgia or a TCU hat had any idea why <laughs>
1: why this guy uh, was...
0: <laughs> is screaming about Dwight Freeney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, But seriously, uh, he was really good. <laughs> yes, he was. I remember him as on the Colts being really good, but he yeah. was really good at all levels. <laughs> I was going to say, I remember at Syracuse being very good and he was really good. Really, really good. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some other Syracuse players of that era get in. Um, there's plenty to go around. Um, so, shout out to Marvin Harrison, whose son, oh my gosh. Oh, if he only he came to Syracuse. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that would have been nice. i I know. 2020. On that note, now I'm going to end this podcast because this is a Tuesday night and I need to go pack. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to Troy News. It's an absolute podcast with myself and Steve Haller. We really appreciate the support. If you're listening to this on your podcast platform of choice, make sure you like us, rate us, review us, subscribe us, help us trick the automated intelligence that will someday rule all of our lives into spreading the wonderful news of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, thank you to everybody who's watching this live on Twitch. We appreciate the support. Apologies for not doing this on Sunday night as per usual. Uh, but again, we'll be back to our normal Sunday routine. This week, pending the Bills game, Uh, I haven't looked at the TV schedule yet, so I'll need Uh, to coordinate that with What was that? We're at 3.30, so. Okay. Well, pending the results of the Bills game, we shall see what happens on Sunday. Right. (laughs) Uh, And to everybody watching on NewsMagician.com, thank you again so much for your support. We really do appreciate your continued uh, patronage of the site. Uh, With that, go Orange. Go Orange.